Time now for questions on Genesis 22. The first question here. Uh, could you talk more about <clears throat> when you went to Galatians and was reading from Galatians 3 and talking about how Galatians 3 helps us understand what's taking place in Genesis chapter 22 and just why it is it you're doing that? Um, what's that called? You know, how, how we should read the Bible and those things. Right? Because a lot of people would read Genesis 22 and they wouldn't see what Paul, the points that Paul is making in Genesis 22. So then they would wonder what credibility does the apostle have? How is he, where is he getting this at? So, and, you know, and then just as far as what Abraham understood and what the successive generations until the apostle Paul, what did they understand? You know, and then how did a believer take it versus an unbeliever, to, you know, take it? Those types of things. Okay. So a couple of questions there, right? Let me address the, the apostolic interpretation one. It's known as the Apostles' teaching in terms of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42 says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The Apostles' teaching, there, it's called. Now, that means that Christ... He taught the apostles, and the apostles taught the church. And much, uh, a lot of what they taught is written in the New Testament. So what we need to know is the apostles' teaching inscribed here in the pages of the New Testament. The New Testament is the, the place of the apostles' teaching. For example, uh, we have another place. Um, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, uh, let's do chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. That's the apostle saying, hold to the traditions. When he says traditions, he doesn't mean traditions of men, such as Matthew 15, Mark 7, which contradict the Word of God and, and invalidate the Word of God, he means the traditions or the teachings of the apostles. Christ taught the apostles and then the, the apostles' teaching. And 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Not according to the tradition you receive from us. Um, and one more place is Titus, Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. The pastor, the pastor of every church should be doing the following. Titus 1, 9. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. The apostles' teaching is in accordance with the faithful word, the word of God. Okay? So that's what I was practicing, seeking to practice, by using Galatians 3 to interpret Genesis 22. And we all should be doing that. Whenever the apostles, and I'm speaking 
gener, gener, uh, generally from Matthew to Revelation, the New Testament. When the apostolic New Testament cites, quotes, interprets an Old Testament passage, that is the inspired, authoritative, accurate interpretation of the Old Testament passage. And it's not just the inspired, authoritative, accurate interpretation for that Old Testament passage for us, but it has always been the case that that was the correct interpretation. In other words, Genesis 22 did not mean one thing for Abraham, another thing to Moses, and then a third thing to the Apostle Paul, and then a fourth thing to us, or anything like that. It has only one meaning, one interpretation. It, it can have many applications, but one interpretation, one meaning. That's what the apostolic interpretation of the Old Testament is. So, is that clear for the first question? Any follow-up to that? So, so you're saying then what the Apostle Paul says is how Abraham understood it. Yes. How Isaac and Jacob would have understood it. Yes. He would have taught, you know, yes. How Moses understood it and what he would have taught. And then how everyone from Moses to Paul who had true faith would have understood those passages. Yes. Yes. So what Paul is saying, Abraham would have understood. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, uh, the 12 patriarchs, Moses, Joshua, going all throughout the Old Testament, they would have understood that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they all would have understood it like that. There cannot be two or three or ten or two thousand interpretations of the seed. No doubt. If you interpret it in whatever way, for example, there are many interpreters who say the seed promised to Abraham in Abraham's mind, in God's mind and intention to Abraham, and then as Abraham received it as a word from God, that seed of Abraham was only Isaac. Nothing or no one beyond Isaac. It was only Isaac. That is, Abraham heard the promise that you will have a seed, and when he heard it, he knew, oh, I will have a son, and his name will be Isaac. Period. Then they say, later the Apostle Paul added another layer of interpretation, gave it a spiritual interpretation, and that spiritual interpretation is that the seed is Christ. But Abraham didn't know that the seed was Christ. He only knew the seed was Isaac, and to the extent that he believed that the seed was Isaac, he was saved from his sins and he received eternal life. Yes, they say that. His sins were forgiven on the basis of that specific promise of Isaac, not on the basis of Christ. So they're saying he wasn't saved before then. Is that what they're saying? They would have to say he wasn't saved before then. Which is not true. It's not true, unless they argue that way back in Ur of the Chaldeans, he was told about a seed. But it's not mentioned. It's not mentioned, yeah. So, I mean... You have to just read that in. Yeah, you got to read it in. Yeah. In other words... All that is just a bunch of baloney until you get to this point right here. Yes, yes. Yeah, there, there are many pitfalls, many pitfalls in their interpretation. Many, many. No kidding. Yes. Okay, so that's the first part of your question. The second oh, part... Okay, so then in the case of John 8, when the Jews are incredulous with Jesus, because he's, he's making these connections, 
the spiritual interpretation, the true one, uh, it's not because it was unknowable, but because they didn't have faith. Okay. Because they're unspiritual people. That's the problem, correct? Yes, okay. In John chapter 8, when the Jews don't believe what Jesus says about Abraham and himself, what Abraham believed and what Christ should be to them, the object of their faith, they didn't believe it, they didn't have faith, they didn't believe in the true interpretation, which is a spiritual interpretation focused on Christ. Christ is the object of the faith they should have. Now, we can say that about John chapter 8, based on many statements throughout the book of John, such as, even in chapter 8, but let's just go to chapter 5, where Jesus says it quite explicitly. John 5, 39. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? 39, they, they search the scriptures because they think in them they have eternal life, which is more work salvation uh, based on the basis of factual knowledge, on the basis of ancestry, lineage, genealogy, on all of these false premises they think they have eternal life. However, they don't see the main object. The main object in the scripture is not Abraham or Moses. It's not animal sacrifices. It's not a temple. It's not anything like that. Right. It is me, he says. It is these that bear witness of me. If you don't get the main point, you won't understand all of the peripheral points that support the main point. That's his point in verse 39. But what prevents them from seeing the main object, the object of their faith, believing in that object? What's preventing them from doing that? 40, he says, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. For one, they don't want to go to Christ. And why would they not want to go to him? Because if you come to Christ, you have to acknowledge your sin. You have to acknowledge God's holiness. You have to acknowledge God's wrath the day of judgment, punishment, hell. You have to acknowledge these things, that you deserve these things, but people don't want that. In fact, they have a lot of pride. And their pride, their pride causes them to seek for flattery from others instead of praise from God. And that's what he says, verse 41. I do not receive glory from men, meaning you are, but I don't do that. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. And how do I know that you don't have the love of God? I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. He came in the name of the Father, according to all the prophecies of the Old Testament, according to the godly life, according to miraculous works, according to the testimony of Holy Spirit-inspired men like John, 
John and Anna the prophetess, right? Anna the prophetess, an acknowledged prophetess, one of their contemporaries, and they said no. And others, Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, these were witnesses, Simeon were witnesses, and they testified, but you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. Meaning, if, you come, if, if there's another man that comes about, you know how fads and fancies prop, crop up all the time? If somebody else comes up and he is famous or he won't confront your sin or he is going to be your source of fame and fortune and fun so that you don't have to repent of sin, you can have all the fun you want with the fame and fortune that you obtain, then you're going to receive him. You're going to believe in him. You're going to follow him. How Then he says, 44, and this is what's preventing them from seeing Christ. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You're not going to believe if your pride keeps making you chase after the whims of other men and the whims of your own flesh. If you're going to do that, you're never going to believe. The problem is your sin, your whimsical sins. That's what your problem is. Then, their false trust. They think they've got Moses figured out. They think Moses is on their side. They think God is on their side because Moses is on their side. But Moses is the one who's going to contradict them and accuse them. 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Meaning, don't think that I'm the only one that's going to accuse you. (laughs) Really, Moses is going to accuse you and you're going to be ashamed. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? As it says in 1 Corinthians 6.2. So Moses is a part of the saints, so he's going to judge the world. They, being unbelievers, will be a part of the world that Moses judges, right? So do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Now, back to this question about apostolic interpretation. Is Moses in accordance with Paul? Is Paul in accordance with Moses? Is Moses' gospel the same gospel as Paul's gospel? Or is Paul's gospel different? Is it higher? Is it more sublime and supreme? Is it of a different world and Moses was of this world? Or even if Moses was of the world to come, was Moses devoid of the knowledge of Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of his sins and eternal life? Was Moses devoid of that knowledge so that he never preached anything of the like to the people? Is that the case? Jesus will answer that. Now, when I say that, it may sound extreme to you, but I had somebody a few months ago tell me that Moses did not believe in the death of Christ because Moses did not know of the typological implications of the animal sacrifices. The animal sacrifices that he instituted for the nation, Moses did not know that they had as a fulfillment in Christ that these were illustrations or types of Christ, Moses did not know about that. According to him, the first one to know anything about that was David, he said. But not Moses. Moses didn't know. And he has to be arbitrary with David, but he chose David. 
uh, this man with whom I had this discussion. So he said Moses did not know. And if Moses did not know, Abraham did not know. And you can go all the way back to Adam. And that's what he said. But not, not what Jesus said. Verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. Because Moses kept pointing the finger to Christ. He kept pointing the way to Christ. So if you truly did believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me. He wrote about me. He's writing about me throughout all of his writings. Then, 47, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What's Christ explaining or implying here? He's saying, Moses' writings and Christ's words are one and the same. Perfectly harmonious. That's exactly what he's saying. So, Moses wrote of Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And what Moses wrote is what Jesus spoke. What Moses wrote is what the apostles spoke and then wrote. That's exactly the same. Now, the New Testament does give more explanations just by virtue of the fact that once the promise is made in Genesis chapter 3, if you add more writings to that promise by that very fact, you're going to add more explanations, more descriptions, more illustrations, more predictions, more prophecies. You're going to do that. So the more that you have, the greater clarity you can have on it, right? Right. You can, so I like to say the Bible is 10,000 illustrations or 10,000 explanations of the one gospel. That's what the Bible is. You can explain the gospel in many ways, many words, many illustrations, many prophecies, many incidents, many individuals. You can do it in many ways, but that's what the Bible does. So the New Testament, the apostles announce as accomplished what the prophets prophesied and anticipated. What the prophets prophesied and anticipated as going to be fulfilled, the, prof, uh, the, the apostles announced, yes, now they have been fulfilled. Right. And they announce it and write it. That's what the Bible is. That's what Jesus is arguing here too. So, apostolic interpretation. Don't ever listen to anybody, including yourself. Yeah. Don't listen to anybody, including yourself. When I say anybody, I'm also including Anybody who's got a position of authority, anybody who's written a book, anybody with a PhD, anybody with a a prestigious PhD, it doesn't matter. Don't listen to anybody if they contradict the Bible, if they contradict the one gospel in the Bible. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Say they're wrong. Use your mind. Use discernment. The Bible teaches us to do that. Use your mind. Okay. Now can we go to the second part? Now, remind me, the second part. Actually, we bridged our way to that when you, we're, we were talking about what did Abraham know and believe. Right. Yeah, so, so that was the second so part. That, that is the sec- so, the, so the same problem in our own day of why people don't believe the Bible, why they don't receive it, is unbelief. 
and which is why they don't believe the things that are here is what was happening there. So it's not a lack of access, it's a lack of faith. Yeah. They have access to it, but they won't believe it. Mm -hmm. they don't. And that's the same as our own day. Yes. Okay. Well, there's, there's different issues which are true of all periods of time. Here we focused on the pride of man being the stumbling block, right? Because they want fame, fortune, they want um, fun. So they want these things. So that prevents them. But we could also say knowledge prevents some people. Some people don't have that knowledge because they don't have the Bible, they don't have access to the Bible. However, that access to the Bible has become less of a problem as time goes on. Less and less of a problem because even if you can't read the Bible, you can listen to the Bible. Correct? Those who are illiterate can listen to the Bible and many illiterate people have smartphones all around the world. Even the bums in the United States have smartphones, right? <laughs> they can listen to the Bible. So many people can listen and so they might be ignorant but there's no excuse for their ignorance. Right. My people die for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Hosea 4, 6. So we, we die for lack of knowledge. We need knowledge, true knowledge, accurate knowledge. We need it because it's our source of salvation. Uh, so knowledge might be a factor, but once the knowledge is presented then it has to be received with humility. If it's not received with humility and it faces the pride of man, then you're going to have these objections. No, 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 that couldn't be the case. There's no way. There's no way Abraham believed in Christ. That, that's the kind of reaction people have. And that's always a reaction of pride. Yeah. If, I, I, I guess I've been dealing with people, because there's not very many, it's uncommon in uh, academia and among pastors as well, because they're being trained in the institutions to hold to the, this view that Abraham believed and understood these things, and Moses believed and understood that there's this one interpretation. Most of them are seeing the layers of interpretation mm -hmm. uh, that are coming along, and one of the reasons that they argue for that is because all of the Jews who had the Bible when Jesus came, none of them understood these things. Yeah. They were unbelievers. Right. That's that's right. Okay. That's the problem. They're using the unbelievers yeah. to determine what the believers understood by yes. Abraham and Moses. Yes. Okay. That's that's good. That's right. What's happening is it's so widespread that there's different layers and there's not one gospel in the Bible. That's a widespread belief in academia and in churches. And a lot of times the the teaching of academia filters down into the church because pastors are trained in academia and then they teach that same thing to their people. So that's where the problem is. It's worse than that. They pay good money for it. Yeah, and then they pay good money for a worthless education often. So that's the problem. And but so that's one that's one aspect of the problem. Um, but if you are exposed to it, then you have to ask, well, why is this, is this important? Is this necessary? And then you come across resistance. Pride, I want other people's um, praise. 
And the other people might be people in your own family. Well, what about my father? What about, what about my grandfather? He never heard the gospel. Where is he going? Well, if Abraham never heard the gospel and he went to heaven, then my grandfather, who never heard the gospel, he could go to heaven too. Because Abraham just had to believe one thing. So maybe my grandfather believed that there was one God, one creator God, and all the other gods were false, and that's all he needed to know to get to heaven. They want to console themselves in thinking that their father, grandfather, their friends, somebody like that is going to heaven even if they don't believe the true gospel. That's what they want. But you can't have it that way. And then in, in my case, you, you, might, you said it's uncommon for this to be taught. In my case, I saw this, I have, I have to deal with this with my own background. Being, having a Hindu background, right? So my ancestors, my relatives, they don't believe. I'm the only one that I know of that's a believer on my side of the family. I'm the only one. Even my immediate family, my own siblings, I'm the only believer. So I have to deal with this and I have to decide. Is the Bible telling, teaching one gospel or not? If it's not teaching one gospel, then there's hope that my Mormon brothers, my Mormon brothers are going to heaven. But if there is only one gospel, my Mormon brothers are not going to heaven. Right. And my grandfather, who was a Hindu who worshipped idols all his life, he's, he's dead now, that he's dead and he's in hell. I have to come to that conclusion. Yeah. I can't say he's in heaven. He didn't even believe in heaven because if, if he was an Orthodox Hindu, he believed in transmigration of the soul. So he'll come back into this world hundreds of millions of times until he leaves this world and becomes like a drop of water in the big ocean in terms of the spiritual reality in the next world. So that's what he would have believed. See, you see the implications are that way. But then, academia, I saw it in academia. I saw, like you described, this interpretation, that interpretation, this layer, that layer, this book, that book. And you have he said, he said, she said, going on in academia. So if he said, she said, I don't know what to believe, I throw up my hands in exasperation, I walk away, say it's okay, it doesn't matter anyways, I'll just go do something else or I'll believe something else because I can't figure it out. But you can figure it out. You can. And what does academia do? They say, as you just mentioned, they say, well, the Jews didn't believe, so it must not have been clear. If the majority of the nation did not believe, it must have been unclear. It must not have been spoken properly, correctly, authoritatively, clearly. Well, that doesn't work because they had Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven, among them, and he is the clearest, the most brilliant manifestation. He's like the, the brilliance of the summer noonday sun. That's the way Jesus was when he lived for three and a half years in his public ministry. When he did that, so how can anybody say, no, it wasn't clear? It was clear. Jesus clearly taught and clearly lived, clearly performed the miracles, demonstrated for that length of time that he was the Christ, the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. He did that, and still they didn't. So clarity is not the issue. They make it an issue, those who detract from this, they make it an issue of clarity. It's not the issue. The issue is not, the issue is not clarity. It's the, the issue is lack of faith. When they say... Well, all those people didn't believe, 
So therefore, Simeon did not understand this. Therefore, John did not understand. Therefore, Zacharias did not. How do you know that? Because the unbelievers are not composing songs and prayers like Zacharias, right? Or like Simeon, they're not doing that. So if Zacharias and Simeon before the death and resurrection of Christ, if they understood it, why couldn't others understand it? Why are we putting the unbelievers, their lack of faith, their disobedience, their blasphemies, and putting that coding on the believers? And even going before that to the prophets like Malachi, Hosea, Jonah, Jeremiah, and all the rest. You can't do that. Why, why would we want to do that? So that's a false method to prove their point. No, believers are enlightened by the Holy Spirit right. to believe in the Word of Christ. The Spirit of Christ uses the Word of Christ to make a child Christ. of Christ, yes. But isn't unbelievers, isn't that an evidence that they, they only see skin deep? They can't really judge the heart that's been changed because they judge everything by the heart that hadn't been changed. Yes, they judge everything by worldly standards, they fleshly standards. They judge everything by head knowledge. By head knowledge, whatever they can see and hear. And they will often tell you that too. Yeah. yeah. If I don't see it, I, I won't believe it. That's what they say. I, I won't believe in the unseen world, the invisible spiritual world. But that's easy to refute. You know how stupid that sounds? Really. You don't see the wind. And to the unbeliever, the skeptic, I say, I can't see your brain, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> you, you, can't see your, you can't see your brain, so it doesn't exist. I can't see your thoughts. I can't see your words, so they don't exist. Come on, it's, it's completely fallacious. There's no evidence. Anything that contradicts the Bible, if you don't have an immediate answer, don't let it shake you up. There is an answer based on proper logic, common sense, biblical interpretation. Put it all together and you can refute any, any objection, any heretic. It's not, it's not hard. Just, just don't be uh, doubtful or... Shaken up in your faith. Don't worry about it. And doesn't that, doesn't John 8.47 answer that? Yes. Go ahead. Yes. John 8.47 answers it. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. And even 43, John 8.43. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear, cannot my, word. hear my word. Cannot. Cannot. It has to be given as a gift of God by the Holy Spirit to understand and to believe. Right. Yep. And that goes back to Revelation 13.18 that you talked about in one of the lessons earlier. It goes back to Revelation 13.8? About the, you know, from the foundation of the world Yes, from the foundation of the world. 13.8, And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. That's why it doesn't happen. That's why they cannot hear my word. That's why they don't understand. That's why they're not of God. Because of this. Yeah. It ultimately rests 
on the will of God. That was before the Old Testament was written. Before the Old Testament was written. That's true. Oh, you want to say more about that? What do you mean? Before the Old Testament was written means what, then? means that God had determined who would be his, including Adam, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, all the way through to John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, and all of us. Yes, yes. So if it was determined before the foundation of the world, then throughout history, Old Testament, New Testament, and now, throughout history, God had determined who would understand, who could hear his word, who would be of God. Those who are of God, according to Revelation 13, 8, are those whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb. That's it. That's right. So you must be born again. So you must be born again. John 3, 3. Yes, you must be born again. If you're born again, then you will see the kingdom of God. Yes.